Welcome and thank you for joining our podcast where I, Keely Severson, Eric Johnson, and Alicia Swamy are exposing mold. Today we have a very special guest, Cheryl Seiko. Cheryl is an architect that specializes in building mold-free homes. Cheryl has a website at avoidingmold.com where she offers some automated classes for people who have basic questions about how to build a safe home, which is her master class, moisture basics, which is a prerequisite introductory class, because she gets so many of the same questions about healthy housing that she decided to just offer it in automatic classes. She also has a membership site coming soon where people can pay to be members she does live Q&As on Facebook that will all be transitioning to her membership site in the next couple weeks. So if you want to make sure that you can have access to her for live Q&As, you can sign up on her newsletter list at avoidingmold.com to find more information about when that site will be launched. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to our podcast. Cheryl, thank you, know, you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We had an interesting interview with a doctor a couple weeks ago that was explaining to us how drywall was contaminated. And basically all drywalls kind of arriving with stachybotrys spores and subsequently mycotoxins. What do you typically recommend for walls when building to, to have more eco-friendly housing materials indoors? Yes. Yeah, so it's made out of recycled paper on the back, you know, so... Where's that paper bin? It's probably not been in good places. And, and I have seen the studies mentioning that there's stachybotrys in the paper. But I, I also am not convinced yet that it's harmful if it's not activated with water because it's also, there's a lot of heat process and pressing that paper and everything. And I'm, I'm not sure and, or convinced yet, and I'm always open to new research and learning because I do change my opinion sometimes, but at the moment, I think it, as long as I focus on stopping the water, so there's no material that's going to be immune from mold. So mold grows on dirt and dust, and it can grow on anything. So what I focus on is not having wet drywall. <laughs> what I would suggest for somebody that was really worried about it, I think, I know some people do like um, magnesium oxide board. I'm, I'm not convinced that's the right solution either. Uh, there's some challenges to that, and there's actually some research coming out about using it, especially in humid places and having a lot of problems with it. So I, um, I'm always researching that stuff, but I, I have not jumped on that bandwagon yet. And what I would say is that if somebody's really worried about it in a certain location, two things, if you, if your drywall doesn't grow mold, but your framing does, you're kind of stuck. Or if you, you know, your subfloor does. So we got to stop the water, but yeah, I have read those studies about, and it doesn't surprise me, I think it's more the problem is that it's being activated with water or humidity, high humidity that's condensating sometimes. And that that's where I try to focus on is, well, let's just not have water. And then let's see how things are. Um, because it's all complicated. It's hard to manage everything. If you have, no matter what the material is, if you have water, there's a potential for mold. And I don't care if it has paper on it or not. You're an architect that specializes specifically in low or no mold homes. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a bit about what extra training and education or experience that that allowed you to specialize in that and specifically and how that varies from maybe other architects that don't have that specific specialty. 
So the reason that I do this is because it happened to me. So it happened to me that we were exposed to mold. It happened to my family. It happened to my child initially. It was my child. Then I realized, well, actually, we were exposed a lot of other times too. And there were a lot of other bad situations. But it was my child that was affected over 17 years ago. And I learned about it at a continuing education course that I went to on molding commercial buildings. Um, I'm licensed as an architect, so I have to do those. And I realized you could have mold in your ductwork. Okay, what's the ductwork made of? It's made of metal. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew the ductwork was made of metal. I didn't know you could have mold growing in it. Never occurred to me. So we were in this house that I had inspected, older home, really good house. I didn't even think of inspecting the ducts. And then came home from this presentation. My daughter was, had fallen asthma, inhalers at home and in school. She did have eczema and she started having migraine. She was having migraine headaches. She was actually not able to function. She was, we were doing CAT scans, it was very scary. But she was sick everywhere she went. Why would I think it was my house? She was sick at her friend's houses. She was sick at school. She was sick outside. And I, so I learned that in this presentation that, well, you could be sick everywhere. And it didn't happen overnight. Like we didn't move in the house and then all of a sudden she's got asthma. No, one, she was sensitive anyway. And we had moved from the Netherlands. Uh, we lived in the Netherlands for a couple of years, which is a very damp place. So she had eczema the whole time we were there. I knew that she was sensitive to st- something. And we moved into this house and she was fine. We moved in in June and she's fine all summer. And it was really October when we started closing up the windows. I think that was a relationship that it started to get worse. She wasn't outside as much, but I think it also was her sensitivity built and that, you know, she probably would have been fine there in a week for a week, maybe a month she would have been fine. But the longer she slept breathing that air, and, and so I, after this course, or basically uh, education course I took, I had it tested. Well, sure enough, there's, well, one, I opened the vent and I was horrified. <laughs> you know, you could see that it was dirty. So you could just a quick, you know, research on what dirt and what makes up dust and, you know, be horrified too, because they have microscopic views of a dust mite and the fecal matter from dust, you know, there's dead skin cells and animal hair. I mean, it's just disgusting. And then we did a swab sample, which is, you know, like a needle in a haystack. You're going to go find some spot <laughs> and hope you catch something. And sure enough, there was aspergillus measurable. You know, the inspectors that I, or whoever I sent it to says, oh, well, it's not very much. I'm like, well, she's not very big. And, and that was in the one place we tested. And it also says this can kill you. So I kind of put all that together and I was like, well, we're not having this in my docs. And I wonder if this is connected. That's really how I started doing this was to protect my family and save my family. And it wasn't my career to do this. That was just a side thing. So I'm always doing my, my continuing education, which is about 12 hours a year. It was always building science. I figured it wasn't ever going to go away. She recovered in about a year once we figured out how to clean it. I hired the wrong people to clean it and they were scam, threw them out, they made a big mess. And then I realized, oh, I guess I have to learn how duct cleaning is supposed to be done so that I can actually hire someone that does it right. Can you otherwise, talk a little bit about that? Like the proper techniques versus improper techniques for duct cleaning? Yeah, I have a webinar on this. So if you want oh, to know perfect. a lot about this, it's, um, I have a duct cleaning webinar. I bring a professional on who is the guy that actually helped me prevail after the scam company. 
and what's interesting is the scam company had cameras and what I noticed was that they were keeping me talking and they were closing up vents that I didn't think that they actually cleaned. And so I stuck my arm down one and pulled out a lot of stuff. And I said, I think they could go now, but they were certified. They had, so there's some certifications that I recommend and, and I would start there, but they had it. I called the references. Um, oddly, the references that I did talk to said that they didn't really notice a big difference after they left, but they thought they were great. Like, oh, great. Well, so probably no difference because they didn't do anything. But I didn't know that at the time. It was really what they were doing in their process. And I do talk about this more in that webinar. I actually tell my whole story. I show pictures, my kids <laughs> um, with not enough masks on, or, you know, a stupid paper mask that they should have not been wearing. They should have had something more robust and I shouldn't have been having my kids do it. But, you know, we all been there where it's like, okay, my husband's out of town. We did this and now I got a mask and we don't have anywhere to go. So everybody got a little bit sick and I didn't realize all the different symptoms at the time that the other kids had that were not the same as, as the one that I knew was sensitive. So years later, I put it all together and go, oh, that ADD, mm, I bet that was the mold. Yeah. And that mold rage thing, well, I didn't know it was mold rage, but the, the one son that was breaking things out of the blue and losing his temper, which was very uncharacteristic. Now I think ugh, mold rage, that's what that was. And then autoimmune diseases that we ultimately, um, my husband and I ended up, well, I had some then already, but my husband ended up with one later. So in terms of, I would check out my webinar because there's 90 minutes, it's basically it's 60 minutes of a presentation and then a bunch of Q&A. And um, I definitely would look at certification and start there, but it's, no, it's not regulated. So it's not a regulated profession, like remediation isn't really regulated in most states. So you have to be really cautious and, and learn as much as a consumer as you can about what you can expect in your situation. I mean, a high level would be like the equipment's outside. They're not bringing in equipment. You know, the, the giant vacuum is outside. And then the other thing that we would say would high level is think about your vacuum cleaner and how it works. If you have holes in your hose, you don't have any suction. So they basically have to seal off every vent they're not using so that there's not holes in the hose because it becomes they're, they're creating a vacuum in the whole duct system. And if there's vent covers that aren't sealed tightly, then they don't have very good suction and, and they're not going to be able to really pull the dirt and debris out. The guy that ended up doing the work and doing it well actually opened up some of the ducts. So he had the ability to do that. The other guys probably could have, I don't think it's a highly specialized thing to take a cover off the end of a duct run, but we were able to look in and see like what the other people had left on something they supposedly cleaned. And you could, and that's in my, that presentation is a picture of the amount of debris that was supposedly left after it was cleaned. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's where my journey began. That was 17, 16, 17 years ago. And it just kind of kept going. So my daughter was 10 then. She had to go to college. Okay, that was, you know, lots of stuff. College places are a nightmare. We think we moved her, we've moved her three, three or four times, like in, on short notice of, okay, well, I guess we got to get you out of that place. Um, once in France. Uh, so it's everywhere, everywhere in the world. Um, 
And then I just kept learning and learning. And then eventually my husband got sick and he got Lyme disease. And then I started researching on social media on Lyme disease. And that's where I saw people talking about mold in buildings and realizing that some of the things that people were talking about, one, I could answer. And two, some of it was conventional wisdom, which maybe wasn't actually accurate. And so I try to clarify things or I'd ask, well, who, who told you that about your building? Oh, my doctor. I was like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't ask the doctor about your building. Ask the doctor about your body. But, um, but I realized there was really nobody talking about it. And so um, I, got, I was able to figure out, well, then I realized there's a Lyme connection to mold. My husband did recover from the Lyme. Well, he um, also had a mold exposure outside from a drop cloth. So from an ice skating rink that we did. Yeah, so he got really, really, really sick. And this was like... 10 years after my daughter. And that's where I, when I started helping people online and then they started texting me and tagging me and then I was like, okay, I'll make a Facebook group. And then you can ask free questions and I'll help people for free in the Facebook group. And that was good. I mean, I did that for a long, for a couple of years and then now it's almost 5,000 people and I, I can't even keep up with it. That's why we're moving over to this more of a membership site that is, um, affordable, really affordable, especially if you're in the beginning, because we're trying to figure it out. But um, so that one, it's really serious people and it's not people trying to sell stuff because they're not likely to want to pay. And then maybe it'll go back to a smaller group of serious people so that I can have more contact with them. It, it won't be just me for free. It'll, I'll get something out of it. I can pay my team. My, my team does help me moderate the Facebook group, but it's just gotten to be that I can't keep track of it and there's and what happens is people share things and sometimes they're nuanced where there's oh, I actually wouldn't say that um and it and it's hard for things not to have a life of their own and it's like oh my gosh I gotta, <laughs> that went the wrong way that isn't what I would talk about or the way I would talk about that topic or there's nuances that I wouldn't agree with so that's what we're trying to do I do come on live I do do webinars and a lot of the stuff that is recorded was live at one point and I'm actually thinking of some topics, uh, crawl spaces may be the next one. And I may do that in July. I don't hold me to it, but um, it's another topic that keeps coming up and up and up. And I'm thinking, okay, I think I just need to do a webinar on it and uh, we'll do it live. And then there's the Q and A people come on live, get to participate in, and then it gets recorded. So I'm just always looking for ways to help people in the most affordable way possible and the recording thing. And the, I think the membership site will do this as well. It, just a way to share information, quality information, challenge each other, resources in the most affordable way possible. I do do individual consulting uh, as well, but it's always better if you take like one of my courses or webinars and then you, you got me really affordable for the basics and then we can jump into your specific things and what nuances or details or your climate or I'm trying to teach people to inspect their own homes because I, I think people can if you start to know what to look for and there's some basics that everybody can look for and um and once you see them and i've there's one got i think it's um before you buy your rent it's a three-part webinar series where i go through like all these defects that people sent in pictures and I'm like okay what about this one what do you see and then i tell people what i see and then there's light bulb moments of oh i do see that i didn't see that before but now i can see that and so it's training our eyes to see things. But always listen to your nose too. 
And, um, and if you see something that looks odd, well, that might be odd. And maybe that needs more, um, more investigation. And if something doesn't sound like it makes sense from a professional, I get a lot of people who call me and make appointments in there. And I'm, I was like, you're, you're right. You should listen to your instincts. Yeah, what that guy said that you instinctively thought didn't seem right is not right. I forget what the topic was for her, but it was something to do with drainage of the ground. And, um, and she had a gut feeling that it didn't seem like it was, you know, they're going to just collect all the water at the foundation. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Put on gutters and dot spots. In her location, that would have been appropriate. And then we can actually control the water from the roof. Um, so, and some of it's not that expensive. So I'm always trying to figure out what are the passive ways, what are the most affordable ways that we can at least do things better. And then the master class to build a safe home, we kind of go through each start at climate and site, and we go to basic building design and foundations and walls and roofs and then contracts. Contracts are going to make a difference in what we get. And then there's lots and lots of hours of Q and A with that as well. And I come on live with that course. So every month I come on live with that course and that's what's happening this Friday is um, so when people have questions that are running through the course, it's about a six week is usually what I estimate for people. Some people could do it more faster, some people slower, but I come on live to continually answer questions uh, once a month, four to five weeks. I know that I had mentioned to you in a previous conversation that I was noticing some people who are building their own houses, having a lot of trouble with their builders because they signed arbitration agreements. Now, if you work with a good architect, you need to sign an arbitration agreement. Um, my attorneys never recommend an arbitration agreement to me. And I, I, I have a license, so I do try to work with a contract. Um, yes, they would, they would have me anybody that I was signing would remove the arbitration contract, the arbitration clause. It's not helping the client. It's not going to help the client because you're subject to whatever the arbitrator decides and, and it's, it saves them money, but they probably shouldn't end up in a legal situation and do things right. Would be my, my take on it. But I, I don't recommend arbitration agreements and I don't recommend, I think a quick tip on that. I mean, I have a module on the contract section, if it's not in writing, you haven't agreed to it. And a lot of the contracts that builders are producing are protecting the builder it's from their perspective. You're going to pay me for what I produce. And it's missing the, what happens if you don't produce or you don't produce well, or there's a deep, well, then what do we do? Well, that's not covered because that's not something they're worried about. And so we want to try to end up with a contract that is mutual, fair to both sides. So there's a, what happens if you don't pay? And then there's a, what happens if you fall off the roof and you're paralyzed and you can't finish the project to the builder? You know, so we want to cover both sides fairly. Contract should be fair. And some builders, I wouldn't work with a builder that wasn't going to have a fair contract. You know, worst case, hire your, an attorney to look after your interests and just review the contract before you sign it. And then you'll find out that, well, you, you got nothing going here. They got everything. You're going to pay no matter what. and They don't have to do anything. And that's what you want to try to avoid. And a good builder will be okay with that because right. they, they're, they're a good builder. It's the ones that are, that I think anybody who wouldn't sign a fair contract that was 
fair on both sides, I would be suspicious about, or cautious at least. Yeah, people get themselves into trouble signing arbitration agreements, and that's a common theme that I've seen for home builders. I know that I recently moved into this house and I, I did inspect it myself and I didn't find anything to be concerned of. And after I lived here for a little bit, I started having reactions in just one zone of my kitchen. And you actually, Cheryl, you caught the Facebook video where I was a little bit of an emotional, dramatic mess, let's <laughs> be honest. <laughs> but you were kind enough to text me and just say, hey, let me know if you need to schedule like a walk through to the house to find it. And luckily I was able to locate the area. So I didn't need that, but I love that you were available for that for people if they do need help. But what it happened to be was an old stain in a cabinet, exactly like joint sharing exactly next to my oven. There was no growth. It was a past stain. And I reacted to it much more intensely only when the oven was on. So there seemed to be some combination between whatever contaminated mold was in there, even though I was not able to smell it. Uh, somebody's nose who I do trust was able to pick up like a mildew smell that wasn't on my radar. Do you hear these kinds of things from other people who are as sensitized as I've become where they can literally point out like a zone or remove one cabinet and now the oven doesn't cause mold reactions for them when it's hot. What do you make of this? And do you see this in your practice? Yeah, I have actually two stories that are, are really kind of fascinating on that topic. And I do, I mean, I'm the one, the clients are like, well, everybody's telling me I'm crazy. Okay, I'm telling you, you're not crazy. I've seen so many weird things. I've seen the, like a couple where I can hardly work with them because one of them has mold rage and they're very mean and angry and it doesn't work well for me, <laughs> you know, to have somebody walk up to me that hasn't even met me and be yelling at me. Whoa, that's toxic for me. So I've seen, I've seen the brain fog. I've been, well, actually I've had the brain fog. <laughs> um, I've had, I've had rashes though, not from mold. Um, but there's a lot of toxins in the environment. I've had the fatigue. I've had the depression. I've had the insomnia and I know that no one can see it, you know, and I know how much of a struggle it is and it's all very complicated. So I'm very sympathetic to that. So I'm never the one who's going to say, no, no, I believe everyone. If they say they smell something in some area, I want to, I'm diving into that and I want to learn more about it. And I, the oven thing is interesting because when you heat up, there's, there's moisture in an oven and the moisture comes out somewhere. And I wonder if that's related. I don't know. I don't know what the configuration is, but that was the first thought that I had. But I had somebody that had two people. One person, she felt one part of the room in a bedroom that she just felt like there's something here, there's something here. And they air tested and army you know, they couldn't really find anything. And finally she convinced them and decided to pay to just open up the dang wall. You know, and I tell people drywall is cheap. You know, just get somebody to do it so they can put the piece back easily if you find nothing. So she got them to remove the drywall there and behind it was the insulation, it looked fine. They're like, oh yeah, look, there's nothing here. The insulation, craft paper is all fine. She has to remove the insulation and there it was. Massive mold from, uh, it was a deck connection on the outside. They ended up taking all the siding off the outside and the way the deck was connected to the outside, and this was a window underneath the deck, caused water damage, but I think all the windows were leaking too. So she found it. She found it because she felt like there's something here. And, um, and I, 
I love that story because I did see what she found. And then I saw what they, when they removed the siding, I was like, oh yeah. Um, now I would have probably guessed that by, because I saw the deck. So moisture basics, I go through 10 common defects and there's a list of 25 with that program. And so there's some things where I would just be like, okay, how, deck attachments is a big one. So I look at that closely. The other person was like yours in a kitchen where she felt like there's something in the kitchen around the island. And she was very determined and finally got them to remove something about the island. Sometimes they have, the, well, there's the cabinets and sometimes they have like cover panels that are covering up the back or whatever. So she got them to remove what um, panels were removable. The whole island was made out of the garbage. It was all moldy wood, which isn't that surprising when you think about that, you know, the whole project's done and they don't have any more new lumber on the job. And so, you know, Joe Carpenter goes out there to basically looking around in the, in the field or <laughs> the, the dirt for some extra pieces of lumber because it's not that tall. You just need some little blocking pieces, all this stuff. It was horrific. I, I saw the pictures and I was horrified. I did have somebody once come to my house to install something. Oh, it was a generator panel. And he's going to install it. And so he needs a piece of wood. He needs a piece of block. He came in with this piece of wood. And I said, you get right back out of here. That wood is not coming in this house. It was a piece of garbage full of mold. Like, that's not coming in my... You can get yourself a new piece of wood. It's just easy. And if nobody's going to care, nobody's going to notice. And they, they do it. But another one where she got it, she knew she sent something around her island. And it was there. And it was very obvious. And the builder was pretty sheepish about it. Not much he could say, but that was garbage. A contract should say that all of the materials used in your building are new, in good condition, and dry, less than a certain moisture content, but clean of debris, dirt, construction debris. If you buy a suit and it's got a big footprint on it because somebody walked on it, you would, you'd ask them to have it cleaned or you wouldn't buy it uh, or take a really big discount. So we need to do that with our buildings as well and say, you know, this is a new building. Why are you using my HVAC system during the construction process? Get a construction one and bring it in. They exist. Oh, we always do. Okay. Yeah, that's why there's so many houses with mold problems and, and silica dust from drywall dust in their duct systems that ruin their furnace, actually. And that's construction debris. What builder is going to not agree to have to remove all construction debris from the house before you move in? That's what you asked for. And you know, no, no, we're going to leave some construction debris. Well, the silica dust from the drywall is construction de debris. And if it's in your duct system or your furnace, then they need to figure out how to get it out of there or get you a new furnace. But I, I tell them, you're not going to use my washing machine, my shower, don't be using my toilet, my dishwasher. Nobody's cooking on my stove to make their, their lunch and during the construction process, so don't be using my, my heating system, my air conditioning system. But this is where clients, homeowners, future homeowners, just need to stand up for what they want. And, you know, if, okay, I didn't factor it in to rent that, okay, charge me for it. But you're not using my equipment. I want new equipment. When I move in my new house, everything should be new. Not gently used or like not gently used because it was used in a construction process. So that's another tip. You know, this is something that I see time and time again where, uh, you know, people think that going into a brand new home that they're saved from the mold. 
And something that you brought up about the materials, I see a lot of builders building homes and allowing the rain and whatever the elements just hit the bare particle boards or, or you know, mm -hmm. the outside of the frames. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, like here's a new construction piece. It's being rained on and mold is going to be growing on that, you know? So when it's, when it's developed and ready to go, it's already has mold in it. How many clients do you actually help that are in new builds these days? I have a lot of clients in new construction. Some of them are with legal stuff because their entire house is six years old and infested with mold. And um, I've had several of those, but um, more than you might think of the under 10 years, I've had some that had a remediation five years ago. Oh, it was all done great. And now I'm having symptoms again, five years later. And so what, what all of that is, it has to do with moisture content of the materials and the word dry. I also have a webinar that is with a professional um, from the moisture meter world talking about moisture meters and why, why they're important. And I, I weigh in on that as well. But when people say, yeah, we can close it all up, it's dry. My question is always, oh, well, what moisture content did you get? Oh, I don't know. It was just dry to touch. Well, then you actually don't know anything. You don't know if it's dry. Dry is a measurement. And whether they're remediating and dumping a lot of water in, that needs to then dry out or whether it got wet from an event or whether it got wet from the rain under construction. We need to know not only on the surface, we do measure the surface and that's usually a pin meter where we wanna know what's the moisture content on the surface, but also what's the moisture content at the center of this piece of wood. We can know before they even put it in the building. And so I would recommend specifying moisture content of 15% or less for your new construction wood, never use green. So that's how it's showing up. If it's more than that, then that's on the contractor and he should be testing. Yeah, this is good. This is good. This is good. If it's not good, just like the suit with the footprint on it, you send it back and you say, well, this is a bunch of moldy stuff or this is wet or it got wet on the truck. I'm not accepting that. You don't accept stuff that's broken or wrong or defective. And once they get the idea that, oh, you actually require good quality materials. Well, I guess we won't keep showing up with the junky stuff, but if, if nobody's checking, then it'd be great. We don't have to worry about it. Um, the other thing is there's specifications go with drawings in buildings. And that's the words that are the quality of the materials you choose. And wood comes a different quality. There's actually different grades of lumber. There's a utility grade. I don't recommend that for building your house, not a utility grade. Um, so that's going to be the junk. People do build with that. So you, you can specify that you want your moisture content to be 15 and that, um, and that will dry. That will actually keep drying and become less. And then if there's an event, then you say, well, um, we can't close it up now. We can't continue with the project. Like drywall is where I would stop. Um, because I can see this got wet a month ago and it's still dry. I can measure that it's at 20 or 25 in the middle. So we're going to have to wait and we might need some mechanical drying here to try to see if we can bring that down. Otherwise, you'd have to replace that member. Usually you can bring it down, but there are, there are times when it gets too wet. And then suddenly they're a little more cautious about keeping stuff dry once they realize that they're responsible for how the moisture content that they have. But stuff happens. 
You know, I've seen situations where totally blue sky, everybody leaves for the weekend and then this cloud rolls in and the sky opens up and there's a deluge or I have a client right now that had a uh, leak. You know, it happens. The plumber left on Friday and then the pipe leaked and flooded. In that situation, there's insurance for that. The plumber has insurance for that <laughs> and he should probably be using it or he, or he's going to pay without using his insurance. But that's, um, somebody's responsible for that. I have radiant heat in my house and somebody poked holes in the radiant heat pipes. Now ours were pressurized with air under construction. So there's a big noise that goes off when somebody does that. And, and then you can see the pressure gauge. And so you know that there's no pressure left. There's a hole somewhere. And it was pretty easy to figure out who did it. And they paid the guy to fix it. I didn't pay for that, but they did. And then they were way more careful <laughs> with their electric nailing guns after that. So um, some of it's a, a live and learn. But yeah, in terms of the water, I recommend moisture meter testing. And I recommend testing penetrate with penetrating meters, not just an eighth or a quarter of an inch, but also penetrating all the way to the center. Because the way wood dries is it actually can fill up in the, the whole core. It'll feel dry on the outside, but the center is still wet. And when we get it kiln dried, and I always recommend kiln dried lumber for construction, that's been dried and should be dry all the way to the center. Um, now, if it got wet and it's in the shipping process, that's when I would maybe put it aside, measure it and go, this, uh, we're only paying for moisture content 15 and below. So this one is 25. So you can take it back because <laughs> it's not what we specified. Um, but yeah, stuff happens in buildings and, and you punt and I have urgent appointments for people that in that situation, what are we going to do? And there's definitely different things to try depending on the climate and the weather. And, but it's rare. It's never for me to coat it with something because then you're just gonna trap the moisture inside and it's still gonna get out. So we wanna know what are the characteristics? How bad is it? How wet is it? And that is also, and in that webinar, the tidbit I'll share with you, free tidbit on that webinar is that you're, you're looking for equilibrium. So the fact that it came at 15 does not mean that 15 is the right moisture content six months into the project. No, because it's probably dropped. So you find some other wood somewhere else and you say, okay, the center of this wood that's perfectly dry that was also arrived six months ago is 10. This one is 16 or 15. Oh, well, then it's got some drying to go to get back to 10 because the 10 is the number that they all should be at before they got wet. And, um, and it's, it's all possible. It just requires sometimes a little patience and a little effort and we sometimes have clients that are or the homeowner is like well i want to be in by thanksgiving so just do it all at one time and be done so i can get in and and that's quite frankly on the on the homeowner thank you so much cheryl for that now boy just as a person listening in and um as a consumer it, it <laughs> it's a lot to uh, take in what what you're talking about and I just wanted to give you a hypothetical situation. Say that I'm a client and I'm coming to you and, um, you know, wood just sounds like a lot of trouble. You know, you got to do a lot to make sure mold does not grow on it, right? Uh, we know drywall is trouble. Anything cellulose based is trouble. Now, I'm coming to you as a, as a client. Can I build a home uh, not using these materials? Can I use something else? Um, that would be less, I should say, suitable to uh, contamination and mold growth? 
I, I honestly don't think there's everything has the same risk. It's all about the moisture. So we have commercial buildings that are steel and concrete that are full of mold. And we have concrete slabs full of mold. We have crawl spaces full of mold. Actually, if you go to Building Science and Beer, I just did a podcast with them and I did 20 minute presentation, um, which is the beginning of a webinar that I do called The Fungus Among Us. And, and um, so I, I, it's like the free first 20 minutes of that presentation. And I show pictures of mold growing on everything. And mold grows on steel. It's not growing. The steel is not the food source. I get that. But there's dirt and dust everywhere. And dirt and dust is the food source. And even if you look at the coatings, I have a YouTube video that's free. You can find it um, where I'm going through a warranty of an antimicrobial coating product. Look at the warranty. Read the fine print. In this warranty, they're disclaiming if the product gets wet, there's no warranty. If the product is dirty, there's no warranty. <laughs> so that surface protection that you're paying a lot of money for on that coating, if it gets dirt and dust on it, the warranty is void. How about that? So Everything that they disclaim, if you don't have those things, you don't need the coating. You won't have mold anyway. That's why they can make that warranty. And that's why they put in those disclaimers is because they even had high humidity. If you have high humidity, then no, no warranty. <laughs> so it's like we have to control the water. The food source is less important in my view, in my experience, in my research on all of this than the water. Always start with the water because the food source of dirt and dust we can't control. It's ubiquitous. The temperature that mold grows is pretty much where we want to be. Oxygen it requires, well, that's where we're going to be too. So the one thing that we actually can control and must control is the water and know that in Moisture Basics, I talk about how the different forms of water it can be water vapor. It can be moving by capillary action. So that happens in the ground where water actually wicks up, like in a paper towel. And against gravity, you can go up a couple of feet. Against gravity by capillary action. And those are the things that we don't think of is some of those things. And so to start to open our minds and, and be researching and looking at things and saying, well, so metal, big condensation problem with metal. So even if the mold doesn't grow on the metal, if you have massive condensation, and the metal studs will corrode and rust and turn into nothing. Um, brick will do the same. I mean, concrete with the rebar starts rusting and then it falls into pieces in cold weather. It definitely um, freeze thaw will spot. So there's actually no material that is immune to moisture that I can think of. I don't know, maybe can you, am I thinking of, is there any that you're thinking of that you think would be immune to moisture? Um, we're going to pass the book over to Eric. I know he has, <laughs> and has some knowledge in that. I found that uh, I wasn't reactive to all mold. Most of it was fairly benign. And the uh, toxic molds did have to get access to some kind of substrate or some substance that it could process to turn into an especially potent toxin. Mm -hmm. And by controlling the uh, toxic mold alone and kind of ignoring the others, I got pretty good results. So when you uh, test these houses, are you actually looking for a specific mold that's more problematic than others? You know what? I actually, I used to test. I have equipment to test. I have all kinds of equipment to test. I did tons of ERMI um, in my day early on, and I stopped because um, I wasn't seeing 
the connection and when I was researching mold, and I think that's great, you become sensitive to a certain mold species that you're highly exposed to and maybe the other ones you haven't been exposed to, so maybe you're not super sensitive yet. Yet, um, I always qualify that. And maybe you never will be if it's not in high quantity. Um, and definitely different molds grow in different places on different materials and different climates. The, what I also learned was that in my research is that there's actually more than, certainly more than 100,000 species of mold and maybe more than 6 million I've seen mentioned. And that we're not studying all that. We've studied about 40, maybe. We test for maybe 30, 40. And so my concern is what we don't know and that there's surely mold species we've never identified that are also toxic or that may affect people in a certain situation. And the situation is always in a tight quarters of a building that we're breathing the air over and over again, as opposed to maybe with more pollution or um, we're creating situations in our buildings that are a little bit unusual because of sustainability. And I'm a fan of sustainability, it's a good thing, but our really tight buildings sometimes our breeding grounds and bacteria comes in so where you have mold you often have bacteria and which ones and so i find that it's just so much and that because of the unknowns that i just don't really i become the, the water detective and i'm just going to find the water because none of it can grow without the water and then i just caution people you don't know what's there and so don't be exposed to it and then uh, as far as i can tell even the doctor's side I don't know. I can, there's a lot of changes going on in the medical side, but up until what I now, I mean, I really haven't heard that there's much difference in the recovery in terms of what you would do to recover based on which species you're exposed to. Although I know people do blood tests and they can tell I'm exposed to this one or that one. I'm always still researching it, but, um, but I'm glad it worked out for you that I definitely think that there are, I mean, those big five or whatever, Aspergillus, Stachybotrys, um, Fusarium, Cladosporium, well, those are all nasty. And Stachybotrys is especially nasty, but Aspergillus penicillin. I mean, what people don't realize is Aspergillus, it's a genus with, 300 kinds of aspergillus in there and penicillin has another 300 plus and that when they say that you have aspen aspergillus penicillium they're just saying you're in the category so it's like you're in the category of um of a deciduous tree <laughs> but we don't know which tree kind it is it's just a tree you know so those though even those are very broad and and is there one as pen that's different than another and I, in my what i have researched isn't in, in removing it that there are that there's some that are more resistant to certain things than others and it's, it's just kind of a weird nuance of the mold species but you just keep experimenting so um i'm glad that that identification did work for you did you have to stop the water or did you consider water in in what you were doing to recover your health yeah but uh, my exposures were coming from so many different sources that I couldn't really control all of them. So I had to evacuate. Yeah, and I, I know I was in, we camp, and you'll see some of my videos where I'm camping, and in, I think, Rocky Mountain National Park, they were spraying fire retardants on the forest. My husband and I, our noses just ran, like for a week while we were there. Just It was like you just had to have a, a, a tissue because it just never stopped. It was like a faucet. And we didn't, we felt very stuffy and everything, and I. 
was trying to figure it out because like we're in the we're in the forest. What is going on here? This should be clean air. Uh, Grand Island area, I think is the name of the area. And then I stumbled on a hike onto a sign that said that they were going to spray with fire retardants. But don't worry, it's all going to dry and be fine. And I'm thinking, it's windy. It's really windy. All the dried fire retardant on little dried dirt and dust particles is now blowing around. And we're breathing it. And we went two hours away and we were fine. It all went away. So yeah, there's definitely stuff environmental. I think I've heard some things about your story along the way, but definitely environmental things. I, I have a rash, and I try not to point it out, but you'll see it in my videos that um, it's heavy metals. So, um, but I've been exposed to lots of things in my day, uh, lots of toxic buildings, lead, removing lead. I mean, I've done a lot of stupid things that I didn't know was toxic, and I didn't, and we weren't eating well when I didn't know what eating well was but my this was a nickel allergy originally and and now i'm super sensitive to nickel and then this outbreak was from stainless steel water bottles thermos bottle cheryl can yeah. i share something with you mm -hmm. we recently and eric and alicia can maybe remind me of the doctor or the source or the study because i can't recall off the top of my head but we recently learned that the type of material that gets wet I absolutely agree with you that moisture is a foundation for mold to grow, but the type of material that gets wet actually depends on the potency of the toxins produced. So cellulose-based materials like drywall actually tend to produce the most virulent types of mycotoxins. And that was a really interesting finding. Eric or Alicia, do you remember which, which study or which doctor had said that so that we can, I can cite that source? I don't quite remember, but, um, you know, that, that's not the only issue, though. I know that there is a study that states that increasing temperature and nutritional status void of moisture requirements still allows mold to develop. I know that study for sure. I'd love to read it. My take on that is that, so paper-based drywall, for sure, paper. Um, anything processed, particle board, anything that's like a ready pre-digested mold food, versus sawn lumber that is like a solid member is going to get have be affected by the moisture much quicker so within days could be weeks but anywhere from 24 48 hours to, to two weeks for drywall i would say and the same thing with particle board which is basically sawdust pressed together so which is not osb but i will say osb is is got smaller pieces than plywood and but sawn lumber is harder to penetrate. And so it will take longer to be affected. It will take longer for mold to grow. So I would challenge or at least look at in that study, is it just that by the time it's been wet longer and it's a more easy food source. Um, now any dirt and dust is an easy food source. So I've got pictures of mold growing on the water supply to a toilet tank, which is metal. But if it's in a dirty house, you know, where there's a lot of dirt and dust in the house, and possibly a lot of mold spores in the air from somewhere else, then, you know, it's just like, it's, it's going to happen quickly. I had a moldy situation in a, in a refrigerator where, which is I got to test a lot of products on that situation because it was a faulty dehumidification system in the refrigerator. So the, de the, the refrigerator is taking moisture out of the air as it's cooling. And I knew that like all the paper labels on every jar in our refrigerator would get moldy. Like in a month, I didn't just get off. I just didn't be, 
grow up yesterday. So I've had refrigerators and they would come over and tell me it was my, it was my hygienics of the, we had a dirty refrigerator or like, no, 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 no. This is not my first rodeo on a, having a refrigerator. This doesn't happen that every label on the plastic on the bottles was growing mold. So the way it got fixed, I just kept being a squeaky wheel. We had a electric surge. And so it blew out the motor in the, in the refrigerator. So they come and remove the panel behind the panel was full of mold. And so I have my camera to take pictures. I talk about this. I'm an architect and I I got these pictures and this is really dangerous. You can't let somebody keep this in their home. And then they replaced it. It was all behind the panels because there was a faulty humidity situation, but it was foam and plastic. But the paper was a symptom on the bottles that would be like that. You know, because one, it was kind of humid on the paper. So that's why all the paper labels were getting moldy really fast and not necessarily growing on the bottle itself. So it just, it just seems like it's a quite uh, a complicated situation. And it seems like you understand this from experience, the way that you help people. And please correct me if I'm wrong, you take more of like a holistic approach, right? You're, you're looking not just at the moisture, but the duct work and checking these other things and making sure, you know, you inform people to trust their intuitions as well. Thank you for that. And it's great that, you know, we have someone like you that is offering these webinars that can educate people because when my husband and I bought our home, we didn't, we were first time home buyers. We didn't understand. We relied solely upon, you know, our inspector thinking, okay, this is an expert. He knows what he's doing and everything's fine, but come to find out, you know, I have a similar story to Eric and to Keely where, and to you as well, where, you know, we had this mold problem. We didn't know where it was. I trusted my intuition and we found it, you know, so. Where was yours? So, you know, we were trying to figure it out and my gut told me under the sink, I told my husband, look, tear it out, tear it all out. And we did, and we found a slow leak. And as confirmed by a microbiologist that we interviewed not too long ago, he said, and he also examined my test numbers, which didn't show uh, to tell me I'm stachybotrys, but I had the con- like conducive environment to have that grow. And mm. usually on testing, like these type of molds are hidden under other molds. So if you have spores from other molds, say Penicillium aspergillus, this can be growing on these more harsh molds. So just kind of like blew my mind understanding that like, wow, a lot of these testing methods aren't a hundred percent either. Oh and, no, no, they're not. Yeah. No. It's a needle in a haystack. It's just like, well, all it means is if you didn't find like stachybotrys is a sticky, heavy mold. I commonly see that showing up, but never showing up on the test. And if you find it on a test and I would differ with the people who say like, Oh, one or two spores of sticky on Nermi are okay. Like, no way. Why would you have, sticky in the air that means you must have a ton of it somewhere i'm way more cautious about because i just know how it's made yeah there's stuff that you find that um i've seen lots of negative test results and then i i happened in my own family with a, a relative you know big huge moisture leak in the ceiling test results are all good there's a leak and we don't know what's behind it i don't care if the cleaning ladies do a great job of cleaning all the dust in this house but you know, <laughs> there's a leak and it's been going on for a long time to get through all the layers of material that had gone through. 
and they certainly did find mold. It didn't show up on the tests. You know, that's difficult because you do the test. And then in my case, it's convincing relatives that they should pay extra for remediation when the test says it's all fine. Yeah. (laughs) Trust your, your symptoms. If you are having a leak and even though the test shows a little bit and you and your family are extremely sick, that's the indicator right there. Now, I wanted to go ahead and be mindful of your time. I know this has been a wonderful, wonderful interview, and I'm so thankful that you have decided to join us. And I just wanted to ask, was there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience, with our listenership, um, any other webinars or information that we could go ahead and find you? No, check out my uh, YouTube videos um, on Cheryl Seco Architect. My face, public Facebook page is Cheryl Seco Architect as well. Seco is not a stage name, but I, it's C-I-E-C-K-O. But if I think if you put in Cheryl Mold Architect, I probably, I can't, there can't be many of us. So, um, but do like and subscribe. And so I know what's interesting there. And I'm always open to topics that maybe I haven't addressed or need to address in a different way. Um, because of my background, I sometimes don't know what everyone, what really helps people. And that is what I get out of the Facebook group a lot is, wow, a lot of questions about this. So maybe I should talk about that, but even though I wouldn't have thought of it. So it's, I, I consider myself a perpetual student and I'm always open to learn. So when you see research, I have seen some research where it's like, oh, wow, I can see why that's the conclusion, but I would challenge this part of that study. Um, and then I have a, just a different perspective because of my background. And I think the way we ultimately move the dial on all of this is that we come together like this, different backgrounds, different experiences, different research areas that we've done, and we share and we talk about it and we keep learning and, you know, and sharing. And then maybe someone out there sees this and there's some tidbit that resonates with them and their situation and hopefully makes a difference. And that's my goal is to, um, you know, help one, two, three, couple other people do better and feel better and improve in any way that I can help based on what rotten things happen to me and how much money I had to spend, <laughs> which we've all been there. Yeah. So we have. So, but just thank you so much for even existing. It, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah, thank goodness I had all these bad things happen to me because I would never have done this otherwise. <laughs> I'm telling you, we wouldn't be here either if mold completely <laughs> turn our lives upside down. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. It was a wonderful conversation with architect Cheryl Seco. I absolutely love that name. It does totally sound like a stage name. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> But again, go ahead, like, share, and subscribe to our content. Also, feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts. We're having some really great feedback from our listeners, and we're really excited to keep providing you with the most up-to-date information in mold and how you can help yourself and your family. Also, please make sure to check out our GoFundMe and Patreon pages. We have a lot of great projects heading out in the future. So please stay tuned, and thank you again. We'll see you next time.